Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. How about this? Another rail company says to workers, okay, we get it. You'll get paid sick leave. Meanwhile, the White House gets vocal about what happened with that train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio. What Lyuna members received after a three-day strike in Oregon. And today on the show, we check in with the government affairs director of the AFL-CIO and the Plasters and Cement Masons. Welcome to the Thursday, February 23rd edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. Bill Samuel, longtime contributor of America's Workforce, is going to be our first guest today. Lots to talk about with Bill. Number one, you may recall me talking about the reintroduction of the PRO Act. This was about maybe 10 days ago. Liz Schuler was very vocal about this. The PRO Act, the Protect the Right to Organize Act, which would eliminate right to work. I mean, it's got a lot of good components. And it's the first time we're actually taking a good, hard look at labor law in this country and making it easier for workers to organize. A lot of workers are organizing. A lot of workers are getting fired for organizing. It's officially called the Richard Trumka Protect the Right to Organize Act, of course, named after the late head of the AFL-CIO. So in the last Congress, it passed in the House, got nowhere in the Senate. So what's different this time? In fact, we have a conservative House. How are we going to get it passed in the House? We'll talk to Bill about that. Also, the debt ceiling, government funding, implementation of the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act. CHIPS, and the Inflation Reduction Act. A lot of good policy in the first uh, couple years of the uh, Biden administration. And uh, there's a proposal floating around by some conservatives of a nationwide 30% sales tax. Pretty much eliminate the uh, Internal Revenue Service. Throw it out and have a flat tax, 30%. My question is, what about the state sales tax? Right now, for instance, in the state of Ohio, it's, um, well, like six and a half, six and a half percent. In some communities, it's uh, about eight percent. So are we talking 38 percent? That's a lot of tax. And who's it going to affect? Well, I think we know the answer to that one. Joe Choch will be uh, our second guest on the show, and he comes to us from the Operative Plasters and Cement Masons International Association Union. (laughs) That's a mouthful. Here's the website. It's opcmia.org. Joe's an international representative. He uh, was raised in Cleveland, Ohio. Grew up in a family concrete business some years ago. Been a member of the union since 1979, and he's currently based in uh, Columbus. We are going to talk about the great work that's happening, especially in mid-America, which is pretty much his territory. Number one, the Brent Spence Bridge, 
that uh, joins Ohio and Kentucky, a bridge that was built many, many years ago. Lots of traffic. Chunks of concrete have been coming out, totally neglected for years. And finally, it's going to be fixed thanks to the bipartisan infrastructure law. Battery alley, as they call it. And we're seeing these battery plants because there's a big push for uh, electric vehicle production. And we're seeing battery plants go up in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Kentucky, Indiana, Tennessee, and Missouri. Honda has a $5 billion battery plant in Jefferson, Ohio. And also they're making investments in Marysville, Ohio, where they're making the uh, the Honda Civics, I believe. Most of those jobs, and here's, this is really, really an important point. Project labor agreements. We need that. We have to keep going in that direction. So Joe, he's a pretty happy camper now. A lot of good work for the uh, cement masons. And uh, that work is going to be around for a long time. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. Union Pacific reached an agreement with two of its unions to provide up to seven days of paid sick leave, which is the latest in a sweeping change to benefits being offered in the rail industry. As you know, this was a big issue last fall when the rail workers almost went on strike, but they could not. And I'll tell you, a lot of them were not happy about that. They were not happy with the administration because the administration said, okay, we'll deal with it later. And, you know, that time has come. The agreement takes place April 1, includes four days of sick leave per year. The employees will also be allowed to convert three days of their existing vacation time into paid sick leave. Sick days can be taken without the advance notice typically required for personal leave. Now, Union Pacific said in an email that the two unions, which would be the National Conference of Firemen and Oilers, and the Brotherhood of Railway Carmen represent about 2,100 workers or 8% of the company's craft professionals. Now, the talks are continuing with the other unions. Keep in mind, there's like 12 unions in the rail industry. CSX Corporation said earlier this month that it agreed to offer four days of sick leave annually to about 5,000 workers. So, it's happening. It's happening. Hopefully, uh, the other freight companies will follow suit. In the meantime, the White House is firing back at Republicans following the toxic East Palestine, Ohio train derailment earlier this month, blaming the Trump administration and Republicans in Congress for undoing Obama-era rail safety measures designed to avert such disasters. Now, this rebuttal comes as former President Donald Trump visited the area yesterday after Republicans have increasingly attacked the Biden administration, especially Pete Buttigieg, the transportation secretary. Congressional Republicans and former Trump administration officials owe East Palestine an apology for selling them out to rail industry lobbyists when they dismantled Obama-Biden rail safety protections as well as EPA powers 
to rapidly contain spills. That uh, comment came from Andrew Bates, who's a spokesperson at the White House. Now, among the safety rollbacks cited by the White House, the Trump administration withdrew a proposal to require advanced braking systems on trains carrying highly flammable materials. Also, ending regular safety audits of railroads, and they withdrew a proposal to require at least two crew members on freight trains. They also resurfaced a letter from 2021. This was a letter to the Federal Railroad Administration signed by 20 Republican senators in support of waivers backed by the rail lobby to allow automated inspections of track safety instead of human inspection. And then on the environmental front, there was a proposal by House Republicans. This was last year where they wanted to cut the staffing at the Environmental Protection Agency and their funding, including the elimination of the Surface Water Protection Program. Like I said, there's a lot going on with regard to uh, what happened there. And I think we're going to be hearing stories what happened in East Palestine, Ohio, for months, maybe years to come. Meanwhile, uh, we talked recently about the uh, ending of a three-day strike by our Lyuna brothers and sisters. This was in uh, Portland, Oregon. They went on strike for three days earlier this month. Workers who are members of uh, Local 483 are now voting on a contract with ballots due by tomorrow. They're pushing for higher wage increases than the city initially offered after agreeing to forego cost of living adjustments during the pandemic. The contract provides the Lyuna members with at least an 8% raise retroactive to July with cost of living increases scheduled each year of the contract, which goes through the end of 2025. Good deal there. Comment here from Holland Rainey, who's a welder for the Portland Bureau of Transportation. Holland said, all through COVID, We've been taking concessions and agreeing to furloughs and not getting our COLA cost of living adjustment with how the economy is and how underpaid we are. We are not keeping up with private industry. Meanwhile, after three weeks of striking, the Temple Graduate Students Union has reached a tentative agreement with the administration that would increase student stipends over the next three years. But it would not appear to meet student demands to expand health insurance coverage to dependents. Now, this dispute made headlines after the university cut health insurance and tuition remission for striking student employees. As part of the deal, the union will withdraw unfair labor practice charges it filed, and the university will re reimburse tuition and health costs incurred by students during the cutoff period. And more than 250 HarperCollins employees return to work after the union ratified an agreement with the publisher gains included an increase in the base salary which went from 45,000 to 50,000 dollars not right away it's going to happen by 2025 also two hours of available overtime that did not require management approval and a 1500 dollar lump sum payment to union members plus compensation for work on diversity and inclusion efforts. That strike, by the way,
began in November, and they are now back to work. All right, quick break. Bill Samuel on behalf of the AFL-CIO coming up next. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrans. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, Canada and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrans with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. All right, let's go to uh, Washington, D.C. Welcome one of our longtime regulars. That would be Bill Samuel, Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO. For complete updates, aflcio.org. A lot of good policy in the first couple of years of the Biden administration. That policy slowly and surely being implemented. But first, Bill, I want to talk about the, the PRO Act. And as you know... In the last Congress, it passed in the House. My question to you, and I know Liz Schuler announced about maybe 10, 12 days ago that we got to make it happen. How are we going to make it happen now, Bill, especially with a, a Republican majority in the House? What do you, what do you think on that? Well, it's going to be tough, uh, but we're not, gonna, we're not giving up. Um, the bill will be reintroduced uh, with hopefully a, a big uh, uh, launch on uh, the 28th, which is next Tuesday, just a few days from now. Uh, we hope with every Democrat uh, on board as original sponsors of the bill in the House and Senate, I think we're 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 headed in that direction. We may have a couple of uh, uh, stragglers in the Senate. You know, we we never did get Kristen Sinema uh, from Arizona or her colleague Mark Kelly as co-sponsors in the last Congress, and we didn't get Mark Warner from Virginia. We had every other Democrat. I think we'll have every other Democrat. This time, and some, and the new Democrats, uh, John Fetterman and Peter Welsh from Vermont. So we should have about 48, 49, 50 co-sponsors in the Senate. Ordinarily, that should be enough with the vice president. 
breaking a tie if it's a 50-50 vote. But, you know, the Senate rules still allow for filibusters, you know, filibusters where it takes 60 votes to shut off debate, so you need a supermajority. We're not going to get that out, on, I don't think, but you put your finger on the real problem, which is in the House. Kevin McCarthy will not let the bill come to the floor, and the Speaker can do that in the way the House rules work. Uh, it's sort of a democracy, but not entirely. So uh, a majority may be for the bill, uh, but McCarthy won't let it come up for a vote. Um, I think we actually do have a majority in the House. We probably have every Democrat, and I'm guessing we have at least the five Republicans who we would need to form that majority. But as I said, McCarthy won't let it come up. So I don't think it's going to happen in the next two years. Now, you know, some something could change. The, the makeup of the Congress could change. That's happened mid-year. There could be some switches. There could be some retirements or, God forbid, some uh, members, you know, dying and being replaced by other uh, members of a di- of the different party. But I think we're probably two years out from having a serious uh, chance of passing the Pro Act. But we're, as I said, we're going to continue to educate members of Congress, mobilize around the country, make sure the public is aware of the, the obstacles to organizing. And that's one of the values of having a bill like the PRO Act. Let me just read you one thing. Um, your, many of your listeners probably watched the State of the Union on February 7th, but this is what President Biden said. He said, I'm so sick and tired of companies breaking the law by preventing workers from organizing. Pass the PRO Act because workers have a right to form a union. This is the third State of the Union where the president called on Congress to pass the PRO Act. And I, frankly, in my, in my memory, I can't think of another president who, has, who is as committed to this as Joe Biden. Oh, I tell you, he is so pro. I mean, he went to a, a union hall the day after. It was a uh, Labor's International Hall That's right. in That's uh, right. Wisconsin. Uh-huh. And I believe he uh, he went to Pennsylvania. There was another union involved. I, I, I can't recall which one it was, but he is 100% union. There's no doubt about that. But let's get back to this uh, McCarthy situation. The very fact that we do have supporters in the House and he's saying, well, he's not even going to bring it to the floor. Is that because he's controlled by the radical element of the GOP? Is that what this is all about? Well, you know, as I said, we have a handful of Republicans, enough to put it over the top. But that would yeah. be the end of his speakership. I mean, just, you know, in real political terms, uh, if, if he joins forces with Democrats and allows, you know, a handful of Republicans to put a bill like this on the floor and pass it, the rest of the Republican Party will immediately call for his ouster. And they did that to Paul Ryan, who was speaker uh, when uh, President Biden was in office, and John Boehner. Both Republican speakers were chased out of office uh, by the Republicans who, who would not stand for their you know, leadership cooperating with the other party. And that's, that's really the, you know, what's so sad about this current, the makeup of this, uh, uh, the House now. McCarthy got in by the skin of his teeth. We talked about that last month. It took 15 ballots for him to win the speakership. And that's just on his own, among his own party. He didn't need Democratic votes. He needed every Republican, and it took 15 ballots to get the, enough Republicans to put him over the top. So he is beholden, as you said, uh, to the to the right wing in his party, which is the biggest element right now. They are by far the biggest part of the Republican Party, and he's not going to cross them, or, or he loses mm-hmm. his speakership. So it will be introduced next week. Let me ask mm-hmm. you this. Will it be introduced in the same form? as it was last year. And I bring that up. I bring that up for good reason. I'm just wondering if you feel very pessimistic, and I could tell through this conversation that it's not going to go anywhere for two years, most likely. 
maybe we should, I guess, water it down a little bit so it's not so radical. I mean, to me, it's not radical. To you, it's not radical. I mean, it's going to end right to work. There's a lot of good components to it, but maybe we should ease up on it a little bit. What do you think? Yeah, you know, that's that's always a possibility, but I think the bottom line is we couldn't change it enough to get uh, McCarthy and the right wing of his party to support it. I mean, we could take a, a, you know every meaningful provision out, just leave the title, and they probably still wouldn't vote for it. By the way, there is one change this year from the last uh, Congress. It's now called the Richard L. Trumpka Protecting the Right to Organize Act. It's a tribute that Nancy Pelosi suggested, uh, and we heartily endorse. So it's got a new name. It's the PRO Act, but it's called the Richard L. Trumpka PRO Act. But in any case, you know the Republicans are not interested in uh, uh, negotiating over this, uh, passing it, if we made changes that they demand, they, they really they want to go in the other direction. They want to pass a national right to work law. So they're not looking to make any improvements in the current <laughs> National Labor Relations Act. And that's unfortunate. As I said, we mm-hmm. have support in the Republican Party, but it's, it's a handful. Uh, they've got, I think, 221 Republicans now in the House. We may have 10 votes in their caucus for this bill. It's, it's, it's not, you know, totally uh, insignificant to get 10 votes out of Republicans on this, uh, but it's not enough. And so we're not likely to make any changes. Uh, we're going to continue to campaign for it. You know, things take a while in Washington. You know, getting Medicare drug negotiations over prices, allowing the government to negotiate with Big Pharma, took about a decade, which suggested many years ago uh, we can go into back in the history of the Civil Rights Act, Social Security, unemployment and compensation. These are all things that took many, many years to pass and become law. So I'm optimistic we're going to get the PRO Act. It will likely not be in the next, uh, you know, 24 months. But we're going to keep campaigning for it and keep building support for it. Yeah, yeah. you got to keep it alive. I understand that part. Mm-hmm. National right to work. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Now, right, oh, yeah. I believe there's t- 27 states that are right to work. So... This if and this is not going to pass. Well, let's, let's be honest. National right pass. to work. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I feel better already. <laughs> but but yeah, we're but, a little bit of a stalemate. You know, we can't get good legislation passed, but I think the good news is they can't get bad legislation passed. At least in terms of labor <laughs> labor uh, law changes, because the ten Republicans, as I mentioned, who are with us on this, won't vote for it. So McCarthy, he could put a bad bill on the floor, but he can't pass it. And given that. He won't try. He doesn't want to be embarrassed. So I think we're at a stalemate for the next two years. We'll have hearings. By the way, I should mention this. Bernie Sanders is now the chairman of the Senate Labor Committee. And Uh when the the bill is introduced, he's going to have a hearing March 8th, about uh, 10 days later. And he asked for uh, Howard Schultz, CEO of Starbucks, uh, a well-known union buster uh, right now. Public, Public is hearing a lot about Starbucks organizing and the uh, and the really vicious campaign against the union by by its CEO. He's asking him to testify. Schultz has already said he won't. So now there's talk about uh, the committee subpoenaing him his his testimony, compelling him to come. Now that'll mm-hmm. work its way through the courts if they get the subpoena, and he probably will never show up. Um, but that shows you that we have there, there's still life in this uh, in this party in this Democratic caucus at least. So we're going to have a fight about it this year, and that should that'll raise the stakes for Republicans. So so it's we're not we're not going to be silent over the next 24 months. That's good. Yeah, Bernie's a fighter. There's no doubt about, uh, no mm-hmm. doubt about that. And they did offer somebody else in his place, Schultz's place, right. but 
that's not acceptable to Bernie. So we'll see what happens. Interesting stuff there. Now, let's talk about this uh, debt ceiling here. And it it seems to me, and you might uh, tell me differently, that they kind of eased back on possible cuts to Social Security or sunsetting them right now, the the Social Security and Medicare situation. Is, is, am I correct in, in assuming that or no? You know, I, I think uh, reality caught up with them. The, the, the number of Republicans who are now willing to publicly talk about cutting Social Security and Medicare or sunsetting them or, you know, various proposals, privatizing, uh, is, is really it, – it diminishes by the day. This has always been one of the third rails in politics. Republicans have to relearn this lesson uh, every so often. Uh, it's just not a popular idea. It's not a – frankly, it's not a good idea. You know, Social Security, Medicare are earned benefits. They're not, they're not a gift. They're called entitlements, which is really not a very accurate – uh, name their their earned benefits. We, as you all know, we we pay mm-hmm. into Social Security so that when we retire, uh, that money's there for, so that we can uh, have a have a uh, secure retirement in, in old age. So Republicans toy with the idea every now and then. Bush toyed with it. Reagan toyed with it, and then they back down, and that's what's happened. So I think Social Security, and Medicare are probably safe. I say probably they could they could come back. I think the debt ceiling is a more significant problem that could cause a financial collapse if it turns out that the congress will not pay its bills by by defaulting on its debt i think republicans are nervous about that too the interesting thing there is they're going to be under a lot of pressure from their allies uh, on wall street who do not want to see a default mm-hmm. so i think the republicans are going to hear from the chamber of commerce and and the you know their donor base not to screw around with the debt ceiling so if we take Social Security and Medicare out of the equation, what would they cut? I mean, I, I know the the biggest part, I believe, is the Pentagon, but they don't want to. No, they won't they touch that. T- it's they, a really good question. It's yeah. sort of the $30,000 question. What are they going to cut to, you know, to, to, to balance the, the budget? We think that we need more revenue. We think taxes ought to be raised on the wealthy and corporations. Uh, Biden did a little bit of that in the last Congress when he had the votes. He put a, a minimum tax on corporations, so they're paying a minimum of 15 percent on their uh, after uh, on their profits. Um, but we need more. You know, uh, Trump lowered taxes on the wealthy. Uh, th- that Biden wasn't able to change that, so we don't have individual tax rates where they ought to be. Um, so we need more revenue, uh, and frankly. Um, more revenue and more spending on infrastructure and jobs uh, and, uh, and on our communities will make them more productive, and that will raise revenues just by, by itself. That's the way progressives view this. Uh, Re- Republicans, frankly, can't come up with enough cuts to balance the budget. They're not going to touch defense, as you said. They're probably going to be uh, persuaded not to touch Social Security and Medicare. That doesn't leave a whole lot in terms of spending, unless they want to eliminate the FBI and the Postal Service and food stamps and Medicaid and, you know, all kinds of other uh, programs that might might add up to enough to balance the budget. But you, you'd basically have to eliminate them. And I don't think yeah. Republicans are going, to do, are, going, are going to be able to do that. Bill Samuel, Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO on our live line, AFLCIO.org for complete updates. Later in the show, we're going to check in with Joe Chach on behalf of the Plasters and Cement Masons. Back in a few minutes, you're listening to America's Workforce. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. 
The men and women of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, LIUNA members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by LIUNA at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at uaw.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, here's what you do. Just sign up, receive our shows on a regular basis, and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. Let's go back to Washington and rejoin Bill Samuel on behalf of the AFL-CIO, where he serves as Government Affairs Director. You know, I forgot to ask, how many years now have you uh, been with the AFL-CIO and as government affairs director. I know we really need long... to talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, 20, 22, I think. I'm in my 22nd year. Really? Well, you're doing a great job, and you're so articulate you. on the issues. I appreciate right. that. I'm sure you and a big chunk of America are watching what's going on in East Palestine, Ohio, with that uh, train derailment earlier this month, and this has become a political hot potato. You might have... Seen Trump went there yesterday handing out the water with his name on it. And uh, apparently now the White House is firing back saying it was Trump that kind of relaxed a lot of the regulations on this. Now, I, I know there's going to be an investigation. I think there's a preliminary investigation coming out. This is going to go on for a long time. And I feel bad for the people in that area because, uh, you know, this is going to linger on for a long time. But. Bill, I was just wondering, maybe you can look at the bigger picture. Is this a symptom of a broken infrastructure in our country? What's your, what's your talk? What's your thoughts well, it's, on it? Well, it's broken infrastructure. It's, it's sadly very predictable. It's, it's not only infrastructure that fail, has failed to keep up. Um, it's also the, the Republican sort of ideology, which has you know, crept into government over the last couple of decades, not to regulate big business. You know, the labor movement and other organizations are constantly looking at uh, chemical hazards, workplace safety issues, where we can make improvements. The other side, the corporate side, is looking for ways to uh, find shortcuts, longer trains, 
uh, you know, smaller crews, less regulations of, of uh, toxic chemicals. They want to make money, which I understand. So do the workers. They want, they want the companies to survive. But there's got to be a balance. And frankly, the balance is way out of whack. We do way too little inspections, too few inspections. The regulations don't keep up. The trains get longer. The, the, the chemicals uh, get more, more hazardous. Uh, and they reduce crews on these trains, uh, and they and they don't even you know where there are you know easy uh, advances like new braking systems that cost money. Uh, industry says we don't want to spend the money, uh, don't don't force us to do it. We know what we're doing. Well, they they don't know what they're doing, and this happens every so often. There's an accident, uh, and the public you know sort of rises up and then forgets. And, and, and the uh, a, a corporate lobby just sort of goes on uh, with the same basic attitude that we can we can win these fights in Congress. We can outlast uh, the, the, the public outrage. And I, I'm, I'm afraid that may happen again, although I think Biden, he's pretty angry about this. He, you know, he's got his team investigating it. It'll be tough to pass new regulations in this uh, Congress, but it's, many of them can be done through executive power. You know, he does control the transportation department and the railroad administration. These are all uh, Biden appointees running those. So he's, but he's got to act quickly because he's only got two more years in office. Uh, so we're going to be, we're going to be watching this very closely. And I hope, uh, I hope the public continues to pay attention and doesn't shift its uh, attention to something else. Well, I know the industry would like to go to one person per train as far as a crew member. And this one had three, thankfully. And, uh, and there's nobody that was, was killed on this, but, uh, well, so far, you know, we don't know the long-term effects of these chemical exposures. You know, when after 9-11, I think we thought that we knew what the health effects were of the collapse of the World Trade Centers. It turned out that emergency responders and others who went down to, the, to, to ground zero became sick, and many of them died of, uh, of cancers that were a product of the toxic release uh, from the collapse of the building. And, and we didn't know that at the time. We know it now. Thousands have died since uh, since that day, and I, you know, we listen. We hope nobody suffers in East Palestine, but it's possible, uh, and we need to monitor and we need to help these folks, and they need to be watched very, very closely and not suffer uh, because of the shortcuts that uh, these companies take and the unwillingness of the Trump administration, primarily, to regulate this industry. Yeah, it would be nice if they knew what kind of chemicals were on that train. And I got to salute. We, I've hit this a couple of times on the show. I got to salute the, the first responders there. They had no idea what they were responding to on that night on February 3rd. I mean, they're walking in. They see a fire. They didn't know it was vinyl chloride. And there was a bunch of other chemicals in there. In fact, there's a campaign going on. in. Uh, there's a progressive organization called We Are Ohio. Those of you listening, go to info at weareohio.com. Share your thanks for the heroes at uh, East Palestine. I'll tell you, you can't thank them enough for what they did. And this is a story. It's got a lot of legs. It's going to go on mm-hmm. for a long, whole long time, no doubt. Um, Marty Walsh leaving the Labor Department. That caught me by surprise. But then when I saw what kind of money he's going to be making <laughs> at, at, the, at the Hockey Players Association, I can't blame him. Three, the, the current guy's making over $3 million a year, and his current salary is like 235000 So, okay. All right, Marty. And he, I know he loves hockey. I, I get it. But maybe – I know you don't. You can't really uh, push any candidate here, and this is Biden's call on it on who. And right now, I believe Julie Sue is going to be the acting labor secretary. I'm hearing good things about her. But she's very good. 
Yeah, but what about Marty Walsh? I mean, what's your, what's your t- I mean, I, I think he was just a great labor secretary. I'd like to hear your point of view. He, he was a great labor secretary. He was he was born for that job. Uh, you know, he worked his way up through the Iron Workers, you know, Boston uh, Building Trades Council, mayor of Boston. He had all the right experience, the right life story, a working class guy, understood unions, uh, and wasn't afraid to push uh, unions uh, at, in once he was the labor secretary. And that's a very rare combination in a, in a, a really top government official. But you've got to hand it to Biden, and we think, you know, he chose him. Uh, I think he'll, he'll make the same kind of choice uh, uh, for his uh, his successor. We're looking forward to that. We've, you know, we've made some suggestions. We trust Biden, Joe Biden on this. It's his choice to make, as you said. Um, and and I, re- I remember just to remind folks that during the transition from Trump to Biden, you know, we gave the Biden team, their, their uh, transition team, you know, lots of names for lots of positions. We didn't say there's only one person that can do this job. Turned out that Marty Walsh is probably uh, singularly the best, but we we gave him several names uh, of people we thought would be good, and we let him choose. I mean, it's, it is his choice. Um, so we'll probably do the same thing here. We'll we'll, we'll look around, see who's uh, who's available, who's interested, who we could maybe convince to put, throw their hat in the ring, and then we'll communicate privately to the White House that here's a here's a, a list of folks we think you might want to choose from. He might have somebody else in mind, and I think he would share that name with us. He's been pretty open. Uh, with us about job uh, about uh, appointments, you know, so important to labor. But that's where we are in the process. Very early. Now, Julie Sue is a great candidate. She will be the acting uh, when Marty steps down, and she'll. Uh, she, she, I think she's interested in getting uh, the nod to be his replacement. We'll see. I think we would support her. She's got a great record. She was a very tough uh, labor secretary in California. Uh, you know, a, a, a strong enforcement-minded. Uh, official when she was in the state, so she'd do a good job. You know, she's not the only one, and as I said, there'll, there'll probably be a list of names that um, that we might forward and that, he, and that we think the president might consider. You know, the timing for Marty to be in the Labor Department was perfect, too, because as you know, there's a lot going on in the trades right now all across the country. I mean, we talk about it daily here on America's Workforce. A lot of great opportunities to get involved in the trades, the apprenticeship programs. And he, coming from the Massachusetts building trades, I mean, spoke volumes. And also, I'm, I'm sure he and Biden got together. And obviously, they, it was a bipartisan deal on the, the Infrastructure and Jobs Act, which uh, we're seeing some implementation. Do you know where we are I mean, as far as funding and, and, and the labor protections? That's another thing. Can you speak to that part? Yeah, I mean, the, the infrastructure law has really taken off. Um, I was just looking at an update the other day. I'm, I'm just looking at these numbers. $185 billion has already been announced uh, in roads and bridges, modernizing ports, airports, etc., replacing lead pipes. Hopefully that's already beginning in uh, some of the major urban areas, expanding high-speed Internet. You've already seen uh, the, the electrification. The charging stations for electric vehicles has already begun. Uh, the administration reported just the other day that there was something like 7,000 specific projects already underway or that have been approved in, in 4,000 communities all across the country. That's a lot of jobs, and I think that's what you're referring to in the trades. And Marty Walsh, working with the president, uh, who he's close to, uh, you know, made sure these were going to be jobs covered by prevailing wage, PLAs, good labor standards. Um, so we're very encouraged about the progress that's being made on, on infrastructure. 
You have the American Rescue Plan, just mentioned infrastructure, the CHIPS Act, and the Inflation Reduction Act all coming in the first two years of the Biden administration. All right, we're in the second two years. Do you see anything? <laughs> you see anything close to what happened in the first two years? Well, it's interesting the way you put it. You know, that's that's three big laws that amount to almost four trillion dollars in spending, mostly on jobs, jobs and investment. It's basically an industrial policy, in which our country has sorely needed for you know for decades. Uh, it's going to take a while, as I you know, the infrastructure is just sort of beginning to uh, get out there, and the, the spending and the jobs. Uh, the Inflation Reduction Act is a little bit behind. That's the clean energy jobs, uh, and the Chips and Science Act, which is the re, uh, rebirth of the semiconductor industry, uh, is just getting started as well. So there's, it's going to take five, ten years for all that. To, uh, to uh, you know, all the spending to work its way through the system, the jobs um, to be uh, created. So I'm not sure we need to pass any big new laws in the next two years. We just need to implement the ones that passed in the first two years and get it right. And that's essentially what we're working on. We're spending a lot of time meeting with uh, agency officials, uh, making sure this this thing gets done right. And I think that's what the president's going to be very focused on. And he's got to sell it to the American people. And you know, he's got to run for re-election, probably, uh, in, in less than two years. Um, so he's going to have to spend some time explaining what happened in the first two years and what we can expect in the next five to ten years. Boy, you bring up a good point. It's not what you do. It's what you say about what you did. And that's the PR part. You got it. And, and the fact that you just told me one hundred and eighty five billion dollars has already been invested in our infrastructure that needs to get out there. And right. that's what we try to do on the show. It's, it's important that people understand that. And you know what? It is starting to work because his poll numbers are starting to go up. So I think people are finally starting to get it that, hey, you know what? This guy is making things happening. I like right. it. I like it. Right. Okay, my friend, we're going to leave it on that note. Bill Samuel, Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO, AFLCIO.org. You take care. We'll talk to you in a month. Okay, brother? Okay, look forward to it. All right, quick break. Joe Chach is with the Plasters and Cement Masons International, and he's coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. Hi, this is Liz Schuler, president of the AFL-CIO, and I am a huge fan of Flash and America's Workforce Radio and Podcast. The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective Democratic unions in our country. With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll-free at 1-800-443-3752. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, 
who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. From the Golden Gate Bridge to the St. Louis Gateway Arch, the Sears Tower, and just about every building, bridge, and structure in between, our cities and towns wouldn't be the same without iron workers. With over 3,000 contractors employing more than 130,000 highly trained iron workers and 20,000 apprentices, the Iron Workers Union stands ready and able to shape the future of our skylines. Learn more at ironworkers.org. Iron Workers, the sky's the limit. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcasts. AWF Union Podcasts. Let's go to line number two, speaking from uh, Columbus, Ohio, is Joe Chalky. I kept calling your name Chach. I forgot. It's it's Chalky. Good Italian. Italian-American, right, brother? Yes, sir. Italian-American. And you grew up in the family concrete business. Why am I not surprised about that, Joe? Well, be right. Shouldn't be surprised. My uh, my grandparents came over from Italy, and they uh, they were in the masonry and concrete business. And uh, my dad and his three brothers and the cousins have always been in concrete. So in the seventies, they ventured out, started their own business. And in my high school years, I got that opportunity to start with them. And after high school, it's kind of where my path took me. There you go. And he's been in the union since 1975. The union is the Operative Plasters and Cement Maces International website, O-P-C-M-I-A dot O-R-G. Well, there's a lot going on. In fact, we just got off the phone with Bill Samuel, Government Affairs Director of the uh, Labor Federation, talking about the good work coming out of the uh, Bipartisan Infrastructure and Jobs Act. In fact, he even quantified it so far and this is a bill that's over a trillion dollars. They have spent $185 billion. Just got that figure. And you know it's probably going to double or triple in the next couple of months. So a lot of that trickling down, especially in the mid. Now, your territory. What, what is your territory, by the way? Ed, I uh, work for the International Union, and I represent the states of Michigan, Ohio, western Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and I currently have an assignment that's going to take me into the southern states of uh, Tennessee and Georgia and the Carolinas and, and all down through that area. <laughs> They're working you, buddy. <laughs> they really now are. A lot, lot going on everywhere right now, Ed. Yeah. Now, is this, uh, is it spread, the work spread pretty pretty well throughout the states you just mentioned then? Yeah. First of all, I'd like to say uh, President Biden has been in Ohio twice in 2022. We have the Intel project that will be going into uh, the Columbus area. That's New Albany suburb. And then President Biden was down in Cincinnati as they'll be building the new Spence Bridge that will go over the Ohio River from Cincinnati into Kentucky. So the workload just in Ohio is very plentiful. Um, you got the battery plants in the movement for the greening and uh, uh, green battery-friendly vehicles. With that movement, you got Honda building a uh, $5 billion plant in Jeffersonville, Ohio, which is between uh, Portsmouth and uh, uh, Columbus, Jefferson Office 71. Honda's investing there, as well as uh, we call it the Battery Alley. You got plants that'll be going up from. Pennsylvania, through Ohio, through Kentucky, Tennessee, and even reaching out into Missouri. So we see that as the battery alley and, and all the work that's that's going to be coming uh, to yeah. that region. 
So with all that work, how are we prepared for workers, especially with uh, with cement masons? This, you know, you think about infrastructure, bridges, concrete. I mean, it's all part of that. Are we ready for all of that? Do we have enough manpower? Well, Ed, we are doing everything we could to reach out, get manpower, as well as apprentices. I will also like to say that President Biden is a very friendly, union-friendly president, and many of these projects will be going under either project labor agreements or just union contractors because of the skilled manpower needed. As far as how we're doing in recruiting, we're into all the schools, and uh, we have plenty of gentlemen and ladies like myself in all the areas working together, recruiting, reaching out, coming up with incentive programs to join the union movement. And like I tell people, this is the best time we've ever had in my in my life to uh, try to build our union movement. Joe, if you don't mind, let, let's pick up on that a little bit, because as you know, there's been a push for young people to go into college. And a lot of the schools and the counselors that work at those respective schools, they get points for making sure that the school sends a lot of people. And they, they often like to boast, hey, 98% of our graduates are attending uh, higher education. And uh, we often hear very little about going into the trades. And as you know, we all know, I mean, uh, everybody I talk to that's involved in the trades are saying, my gosh, there's so many great work opportunities. You mentioned that Intel plant. There's some folks over there could be making well over six figures. So the conversations that you are having to get people involved, say, in your craft, which would be the plasters and cement masons, how are we getting through to them right now, Joe, in your opinion? Well, there's a few different ways. And, Ed, you know, on top of that, we're dealing with different generations. So people look at the work differently um, from my generation to the younger generations. I can honestly tell you, Ed, um, not only getting into schools, a lot of these apprenticeship programs, no matter which craft, offer uh, – college credits and they're uh, affiliated with colleges community colleges such as up of cleveland with cuyahoga community college so some of these students in classes can get college credit if they want to carry on with their career whether it's into engineering but certainly getting the aspect of what goes on in the field helps anyone i'd like to share a couple nice stories with you um the operative plaster cement masons have a spot at the Ohio state fair and every year we're there. And we have the benefit of having Governor DeWine spend time with us. Uh, Governor DeWine come down. He's been there the last couple of years with us. And, and he speaks to our upper level uh, president, financial secretary, that our program is invested in virtual reality. And we set these virtual reality uh, uh, machines up for both plastering and cement masons. And Governor DeWine uh thanked our organization for making that movement by reaching out to the younger generation because we all know they're geared towards uh, television and, and shows with uh, your, your uh, playstations and, th and things like that. So getting them to realize this is the concept of our work might attract them at these schools. In these schools, we take these machineries. Those machines are dispatched throughout uh, our regions to our local unions. So they have virtual reality. And as they do career shows, and we bring them in there and we let these kids realize, and that's an attraction. You attract them there, then you can talk to them. I would also like to share a story. We had a uh, a gentleman from a school out in, I think, Pickwell County over on the west side of the state. 
And he was at that state fair. And what he seen, what we did, as well as all the building trades, we uh, we have all the building trades there showing their programs. This gentleman come up to us, and, and he runs programs, uh, these career days for these uh, joint vocational schools. He says, I would love to pick your program up and bring it to us. So the word does get out there, Ed. And I think we realize in my generation, the, the colleges, the high schools, it was all about going to college and all about going right. to college. But I am starting to see the wheel go back the other way now to where they're realizing there's a better career in the trades because now you're getting your benefit package, you support your families and have a pension and retire. So we are actually kind of seeing that trend change and obviously, as we're all reaching out to find manpower, we have to use every resource available to us. And, and these high schools are a resource. You know, uh, you bring up a good point about that change, that dynamic that's happening right now. I think a lot of that has to do with how expensive college has become. And when you get out of college, what's the first thing you got to deal with? All that student debt. I mean, it's ridiculous. You don't have that problem, especially in the trades. That's really good to hear about the virtual reality. Now, now did that come from uh, international? Are they pushing that around the country right now? And I can tell you in our program, uh, the Operative Plaster Cement Masons International, we started this about three, four years ago. And uh, I go around, I do trade shows throughout the country. I just got back last week from Canada. Uh, our organization is United States and Canada. And we did the concrete expo show up there as well as last month we were at the world of concrete in las vegas and when contractors see the concept we bring and these students walking around looking at the industry it is an attraction it's something that we've invested and we continue to invest in heavily uh, for the future in that virtual reality not only do we use it uh, to attract people at these shows we're gearing it towards education purposes in the classroom showing a kid we're currently working on one with the cement masons where you're going to fill up a formed in area what rebar you're going to have to pump it concrete in from a pump vibrate it clean off the board straight edge it float it out so we're kind of using that as a principle hey here's what happens when you get into the real world so no student is just dumbfounded going in there they have an idea of what we do and maybe that's what what they want to try yeah so we find an investment we find a future in the virtual reality. I know we're not the only craft that's done it, but I know we have heavily invested in it and have been doing this for about three, four years now. Ed. Make it fun, make it interesting, and you'll get their attention, especially with uh, young people because they do have a very short attention span. So that's good. You're capturing their imagination there. All right, my friend, we're going to leave it on that note. Joe Chalky, Operative Plasters and Cement Masons International website, opcmia.org, where he serves as an international representative. Keep uh, doing what you're doing. Stay safe. We'll talk down the road. Okay, brother? Thank you very much. Have a great day, everyone. All right. That'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, we'll check in with Scott Paul and the Alliance for American Manufacturing and the latest from the United Steelworkers. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.